This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. The whole point of this, as we've always been about in the church, is about reflecting on the gospel. Um, what we're looking at today is a part of Isaiah, we're part of a series in Isaiah, it's a book in the Bible. If you've not been part of that series, don't worry, this will hopefully stand up on its own and make sense. Um, and uh, this, when we look at these different parts of the Bible, this is always a way of looking at a different angle on the gospel, right? The gospel's a bit like a diamond, and it's diamond's got loads of different edges. If anyone's got a particularly uh, exciting engagement ring, uh, maybe it's got loads of different angles on that diamond. Like this is just one different angle into that. So um, we're going to head straight on in, and um, hopefully we'll see more and more about the beauty and richness of the gospel as we go through it. So um, today we're looking at some conversations in the Bible, right? A particular conversation. Um, and I want what we need to do first of all is ask you a question. I want you to think about the most precious conversation that you've had in your life. What's that? If you need to like just say that to someone else, or not have that conversation, but um, just like, just say, say what that is, like, just, just think about that, like, what, what is it that you, what's the most precious conversation you've ever had? Um, maybe some ideas to, um, to help with that is, um, like, wh- when I was thinking about this and mulling it over, something I had was maybe like a conversation you'd had with someone before they died, maybe the last conversation you ever had with someone, that's quite a precious moment, um, um, maybe it was your wedding vows, and as I was thinking about it, this, this was it for me. I, I realised, you know, that most precious conversation I ever had was when I was sitting in front of Florence, who's not there. Was, but what was weird about that was it was quite a public conversation, you know, um, sort of me, me and Florence saying, you know, I promised to have and to hold, you know, in front of everyone. But it was also a very intimate conversation. It was just me and Florence sort of saying that. It felt like it was just the only two of us in the room, even though there was several hundred people there in the church. Um, and I wonder, as I was thinking about this, I wonder if you agree with me that the thing about precious conversations, whatever that answer is that you've got, is um, it's less really about what's said and more about who's saying it. It's more about that person that you're having that conversation with. Um, I think that's probably true for lots of us. So I just want to hold that as a thought, and it's going to be like this little subterranean theme as we go through what we're looking at today. Um, uh, as has been said this morning, like we, we worship here the God of the Bible, that's Yahweh, God's three persons who love one another, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, and much of the Bible, right, is a conversation between that God and the world, God and, and people. But occasionally in the Bible, we get to see conversations within God. Okay, conversations within God, between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Like what they talk about when no one else is really listening. Right, that's part of what we're looking at today. So we're looking at two chapters in Isaiah, 42 and 49. Don't worry that there's like seven chapters in between them. These are like mirrors in part of this big bit of poetry. Um, and you're always welcome to read any part of Isaiah you wish to in your own time. Um, but I'll spare you doing all eight chapters this morning, right? So we're just going to look at those two. Um, first up then, a bit of history and context. What's going on in Isaiah 42 and 49? You know, if, you, if you're not familiar with that, which many of us may not be, I'm certainly not familiar with it off the cuff. I had to look this up. Isaiah's a prophet around 700 BC, so 2,700 years ago. At this point in Isaiah, he's just prophesied that in another 150 years' time, so about 550 BC, 
the ethnic nation of Israel is going to be taken captive, sent into exile in Babylon, basically Iraq. So the nation is going to be taken captive, taken prisoner, lifted up, taken from Israel geographically to Iraq. That was going to happen. Um, and that, that did later happen. So the ethnic nation was going to be taken away. What was that exile all about? Like, what, what's that got to do with like, what God's all about, the big picture here? To understand that, you've got to go back even further, right? Back to the very beginning of Israel's history. Okay, so what, what's Israel? What's it all about? Israel started off as a person, right? Israel was a person. It was a person who was called Israel, right? And then it became this family, which became the ethnic nation of Israel. And they were given um, a very particular promise, which had a very specific purpose, right? So just, um, if we just bring that up, there's, there's lots of different quotes of this from different parts in Genesis because it gets repeated, but here's one where it makes it really clear. God says to uh, the ethnic family of Israel, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. That's the promise. You're going to be this massive family and nation. But there was a purpose to it. And in your offspring, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. So God was saying, I'm going to bless you in order that you be a blessing to other people. Okay, I'm going to bless you as this family, as this nation, in order that you may be a blessing to other people. If that makes sense, nod your head. Right, good. Just like, you know, like a little bit of give back. Right? That's, uh, cool. Um, so the family of Israel right, was going to be this global blessing. But there was a massive problem, and this is where we're at now in Isaiah, bringing it back. Israel wasn't going along with that plan. Israel was sort of rejecting its part of it. It was sort of taking the blessing, but wasn't really being a blessing to anyone else. And the core of that was that it re rejected its relationship with God. Like all of this was premised on God is, Yahweh is going to have this special relationship with this group of people. And that was going to be the heart of this engine that was going to uh, result in blessings to everyone else. Instead of worshipping Yahweh, they were worshipping everything but him. That's what we thought about last week. Steve talked about idolatry. And idolatry at its heart being about worshipping anything other than Yahweh. Sometimes that's like religious gods. And sometimes that's things like, uh, and this is actually much more common in the Bible than that sort of thing, is worshipping things like sex, power, or money, and overvaluing those things, and really pursuing them in our lives rather than pursuing God at the, as, the, as the thing at the front of it. So this exile into slavery was God's response, right? And I just wanted to read this, because this is pretty hard-hitting, right? I just don't want to skip over this. Listen to this. This is God saying, right, in Isaiah, who gave, uh, who gave up Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? in whose ways Israel would, would not walk, and whose law they would not obey. So he, God, poured out on him, Israel, the nation, the heat of his anger. It burned him up, but he, Israel, did not take it to heart. God pulls no punches when it comes to idolatry. Now that, that's one of the, when I was just reading this, I was like, goodness me, that's really serious. That is really serious. That is a heck of a response. And when you, I just wanted to sort of focus on that to realise the scale of the problem that was going on here. The scale of the problem was that there had been this agreement that, you know, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. This, this is going to be this wonderful thing. But Israel had rejected that relationship with God and was worshipping other things aside from Yahweh. And God makes a decision to send that family, that ethnic nation, into multi-generational exile, into slavery in another country. Now that obviously, you know, if you're new to Christianity, like, you know, if you're first time at church, like that clearly raises some massive questions about what, you know, what's this God about? Like, you know, how could you possibly, what, how, why is that a loving God? Hopefully, I'm going to in part answer some of that today. But the, I think one of the first things is to just understand 
God really cares about that. There must be a reason why God really cares about that. Okay, so um, I'm not going to answer all your questions about that now. We'll talk about it afterwards, right? But, you know, in the, in the, for the sake of keeping this brief, we'll, we won't go there. Right, um, and if you want to know more about adultery, listen to Steve's talk last week. It's available online. Um, but just all in all, right, just drawing that context together, Israel was a busted flush, right? This was God's plan. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations, but it ain't working. It ain't working. God needed something different if he was going to bless all the nations. And he, sa- he says this in Isaiah, this is Isaiah 48. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your, offspring, and your descendants like its grains. That's like an exact um, quotation from some of those other promises in Genesis. Your offspring is going to be like the sand on the beach and, your, and the grains on the, on the seashore. That was the promise back in Genesis, but Israel had pulled back from its part. God needed something new. That's where we're at. God needed something new. Israel was a busted flush. And in chapter 48, again, this, and I'm just, in these quotations, like many of these quotations come up many times around these areas um, in these chapters. From this time forth, and this is the voice of God, right? This is not just Isaiah saying this. But all of these bits that are coming in, they're like in quotation marks because Isaiah is directly relaying the voice of the Lord. So this is God speaking, right? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old, your ear has never been opened to them. So there's this new thing that they've never heard before. This is what's going on. But, and before we look at what that plan is and what that, what that new plan is, I just want you to spot this, right, given all that context. Though Israel had rejected God, God ultimately did not reject Israel. Right? You just need to see that in the big sweeping picture. Yeah. Israel had rejected God, but God did not ultimately reject Israel. He had a plan. Yes, there's this deep, long, profound misery, but he, but he held on. God is faithful in the face of our disrespectful idolatry of other gods. God remains faithful. So, you know, so I think it was Christopher said before, like, if, you're, if you feel like, you know, the way you've been acting means that you feel far from God, like, God is faithful. God is faithful. And in the gospel, God is faithful to us, and we know that. So what's the plan, right? What's this plan? What's this new thing then, God? It's got two layers to it, okay? It's got like a superficial level, and then it's got a really deep level, right? Because the superficial level is God promises to save people from the physical exile that they were in. So if you happened, you sat here today, to be a Jew who was in captivity in Babylon, in Iraq, um, 2,700 years ago, uh, then there's some hope for you. But I don't think you're particularly interested in that because that's not you, is it? You know, things are actually all right in the, in the PAC. But that was a promise, and that was a really significant promise, right? If you're in exile, if you're in captivity, God, the chapters here are a promise that God is going to save you from that uh, captivity that you were in. But the second level, right, and this is where it's much more encompassing and much more interesting for us, was that God was going to save his people from spiritual exile. See, the thing was, that physical exile was only ever a symptom of the deeper problem. Right? Hopefully you've seen that from the, the context I've just quickly laid out. That physical exile was only ever a symptom. And so this plan was not about fixing the symptom, it was about fixing the root cause. Okay, it's like the doctor saying, I'm not just going to give you something to just relieve the pain, I'm going to deal with the, the cause of the problem. And the other major like, game-changing thing about this plan was that it wasn't only really going to deal with Israel's spiritual exile, 
but it was going to deliver, deal with the world's spiritual exile. Right? So this is all quite familiar. Right? We're Christians. We've got this relationship with God. Just imagine, right? you're, you're reading Isaiah for the first time. You're reading this 2,700 years ago. It's like, what? God isn't only going to save Israel. God's going to save the world. Like, again, like, you know, no one's like dropped off their seats when I've just said that, right? It's very familiar. But that's, that, that's like, the, this is the first time it's like made really clear. This is like, okay, wow. Before we um, started this morning, I was just praying like, that we wouldn't forget the privilege of the gospel. And these chapters are really part of that. Like, it is not to be taken for granted that the gospel is available to us as people who aren't part of that original ethnic family of, um, of Israel, right? So just hold that, even if, even if it doesn't cause you to fall off your seat in excitement. It's your responsibility. If you need to stand up and sit down, you do, do that. Right, so how is God going to do that? Right? How is God going to do this plan? At the front and centre of it, and this is what these two chapters are all about, right, was a person that God calls the servant, big capital S. And what we now know, right, is that that servant would be Jesus. Right? Jesus often quotes back to this, all the disciples in the New Testament quote back, like, this servant that Isaiah is talking about, that, that God is talking about, is, would be Jesus. And he comes 700 years after this was written, and what we're reading about now is, is Jesus, right? So in all of this, as you hear, the, as we, we're just going to go through some of like the, the chapters, it's like a big bit of poetry, um, replace servant for Jesus. And in chapter 42, what we've got is God the Father talking about the servant, God the Son. So the Father is talking about the Son. And in 49, the servant is talking about himself. Okay, that's, that's the, They're the voices that are going on. So let's look at chapter 42 first, right? So this is God the Father talking about his Son, Jesus. It says, Behold, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is this big grand announcement that comes out at the start of this. Behold, listen. And yet notice next how gentle it is. And this goes like straight on, right? Notice how gentle it is. He says, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick on a candle he will not snuff out. He will not quench. It's this gentle servant. It's this sort of behold, and yet he's this humble, modest figure. And it's going to have this massive impact. Right? Listen to this. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. We've got this blend of this astonishing sort of gentleness and servant-heartedness, and yet he's going to achieve everything that you'd expect some sort of global king or president to be able to do. It's this sort of strange sort of mix of everything, of the extremes. Um, and just focusing on that um, bruised reed he will not break. Right? There's this sense in which... Jesus is going to be a servant who would focus on the most vulnerable in society. And I just want to like, just quickly like, put the magnifying glass on that a second. And, um, well, as I was just reading, I just came across this, and I just thought I, didn't, I couldn't skip over it. There was a preacher called Richard Sibbs, like a couple of hundred years ago, who, who wrote a whole book on this, like two lines, called A Bruised Reed. And he said this, he said, if you feel like a bruised reed, right, and you need Jesus, and you're a Christian, right, and you, like, you think, oh man, like, I'm, I'm close to the edge, I'm really close to the edge. He had this, and I just thought this was such good advice, right? He said, if, he said, say this to yourself. Say this to yourself if you are one of those bruised reeds. If Christ be so merciful to me as not to break me, I will not break myself by despair. 
I just thought that was amazing. I just, you know, maybe, maybe someone feels like they're you know, feeling like a bruised reed. Um, maybe you've never used that metaphor to describe yourself, but that is wonderful wisdom and like a way of like just putting the gospel into your own heart. So if, if that's you, say that to yourself. If Christ be so merciful as not to break me, I will not break myself by despair. Um, there's something else in these words, right? Back to, the, back to Isaiah that, that tells you, doesn't just tell you about Jesus, but hints at how he's going to go about doing this plan. How's, you know, how, what's this servant going to do, right? So we've heard a bit about him, but what's he actually going to do, right? A bruised reed he will not break, a burning wick he will not snuff out. And he says he won't grow faint or be discouraged. Now, for those who are Hebrew scholars, I'm not. I read someone else who is. Um, this is poetry, right? And in the original like, Hebrew root words, there's a deliberate parallel going on. It's like th- these words like echo one another. And faint and snuffed out is, is like the same root word, and discourage and bruise is the same root word. So what, Tom? So what? What's that got to do with it? What it's saying is that the servant will experience those same things. The servant is going to go to the bruised and is going to be bruised. He's going to go to those who are on the cusp of being snuffed out like a candle. and He's going to come to the point of being snuffed out. But crucially, it will not stop him. Don't if you just pick that up. You know, you know, it, will not, it will not stop until he's achieved all these things. And that's what we see on the cross, right? That's what we're going to see on the cross when Jesus comes, that he would help the broken by being broken. He would help those who are suffocating in life by being choked out himself. Yes, Jesus died in this brutal, ugly murder, but that wasn't the end, right? You know, surprise, another surprise. Jesus rose from the dead, right? We believe that's Christians, right? But that, that was what was going to go on. The servant was going to become broken. He was going to be snuffed out. So that was chapter 42, right? I said it would be quick. Chapter 49. We just heard the father talking about the son. Chapter 49. This is the son, the servant, talking about himself. Okay, so this is the voice of Jesus, relayed by Isaiah, talking about himself. Mind bender. Hope you had your coffee. <laughs> Listen to me, O coastlands, which basically means like world, right? End of the world, right? Give attention, you people from afar, back rowers. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. Listen to the intimacy, right, that comes next between the son and the father and how the son speaks of it. It says, he, the father, made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. And there's a sense in which the son recognises that the father had raised him for this very purpose of being a servant. Right? It says, he, he made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, that's what you keep your arrows in, right? Um, he hid me away. And then he says something like, absolutely astonishing. Jesus recounts a conversation, right? he recounts a conversation between the Father and him. He says this, and he, the Father, said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Spot this, right? Maybe let the cogs turn, let the cogs turn. The Father has told Jesus, and Jesus relaying this, that he's to be the new Israel. Remember, Israel busted flush. Here's the new plan. Jesus is going to be the new Israel. Through Jesus, God was going to achieve everything that that plan through the ethnic nation of Israel never, never managed to achieve. 
But just as in chapter 42, the way in which the servant will achieve this is going to involve suffering, and that's, that's baked into this chapter. It will be through Jesus' life and death on the cross. In chapter nine, 49, we've got this. We've got the voice of the servant about himself saying, I have laboured in vain. So, go on. Go on, Sam. There we go. I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Hear that, and then think, flash forward to Jesus' words on the cross, and just notice the similarity. Right? So the servant is saying, I've, I've spent my strength and nothing, for nothing and vanity. It's not, it's, not, it's not got anywhere. And you hear Jesus' words on the cross, just before he dies, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Get to that point of, like, what was all this for? What was it for? Just before he breathes his his last breath and and dies. And you get both. You see that that, it's this foreshadowing that's coming all the way back there in Isaiah. And yet this is the crucial thing. In Isaiah, like the next little bit, it says, yet surely my, my right is with the Lord. He's almost been snuffed out. He's almost come to the end, but not quite. Ultimately, his, the servant's faith holds true to his father, just as happens on the cross. You know, the last, the last testament from Jesus is not, oh, it was all for nothing, I'm dead. You get the resurrection. Yeah. Yet surely my right is with the Lord. So we've heard what the plan is, right, and how God's going to do it. But what I want us to focus on now, right, and this is maybe a bit of an oddity if you're really familiar with these chapters, is not actually to spend too much time looking at the servants, we're going to focus now looking on the Father. Okay? It's sort of like, not really mentioned in this, you just hear his voice. The reason I want to do that is because this plan, this new plan, behold, is one that the Father and the Son have decided on together. And the servant would achieve it, but it would be costly to the Father too. Okay? So that's where we're going to just um, focus on this. Just, there's hope yet. Right? <laughs> In these surrounding chapters to this, in the, like chapter 40 to like 50, what, we, see, um, we see the intensity of God's love for his people. You know, I said that like God was ultimately not, not forgetting his people. He still loved them. And he, he sort of describes that, even though they've walked away from him. And here's, here's just a couple, right? It says this. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour, because you are precious in my eyes and honoured, and I love you. I give men in return for you, Peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. He's prepared to pay whatever ransom payment it takes. He loves his people. I'll give anything for you. And he's saying this to a people who've walked away from him. I I want you back. I'll I'll give you everything. Where's my wallet? I'll give you everything I've got. It's a deep, fierce, jealous love. In another image, God says this. Um, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb even these may forget yet I will not forget you I will not forget you behold I have engraved you on the palms of my hands hear the love there it's not just like oh that is incredible even these, like, can you imagine a scenario where the mother would forget the baby? It's hard, it's hard to conceive, isn't it? It's hard to conceive. Even that, I love you more than that. 
I love you more than that. If you're a mum, like maybe you resonate with that. Like that like, helps you to understand. Man, that is a deep love. And this is the thing, right? That same bond of love, that same intense love that the Father, has set, God has said he's got that for his people, but it is even more so for his son. It's even more, right? There's no words to describe that because he's used everything he's got on like, love between God and his people. But it's more than that. It's more than that. I don't have any words to do it, but it's more than that. But one way you do hear it, one way you do hear the words is, is in the son's description of himself. Okay? So the father's taught there about his love for his people. Hear about how the son knows that love. Hear how the, God, Jesus knows the, the love of his father. How his father had known him from the womb. And his father's just so proud of him. So darn proud of him. He'd got him ready and raised him just for this. He says, you, like, just, all of this is conversational, all of it's quotes. And Jesus relays that conversation that he's had with his father, where his father said, you are my servant, in whom I will be glorified. You hear that, like, you know, just try and make that a bit more modern day English. He says, I'm just so proud of you, son. I'm just so proud of you. You're going to make me so proud. You're everything. You're the beginning and the end. You are glorious and wonderful. I love you. I love you with everything I've got. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'm going to. Um, I, I think one of the things that's really hit me... In, oh, I'm doing a Theresa May outside of it. <laughs> one of the things that really hit me in preparing this was... Um, so we may now have got a son, like 18 months. Like, the father really loves the son. Like, I really love my little boy. It's only a fraction. It's only an absolute fraction. Um, all of us will be sons or daughters, right? Even if we're not parents, the point here is like to hear this from Jesus' view of, I know that my father really loves me. Alex was praying earlier about the father's love, that even where people let us down in the world, that we know that he is faithful. Man, that's this. That's this. Right, okay, yeah, I really love my son, but like, God really loves, the, God really loves Jesus. God the father really loves Jesus. The Father has nestled him away, shielding him from harm in the shadow of his hand. Like, where is, where is even is that, right? The shadow of his hand, his Father hid me. Sort of imagine that. It's like wrapped him in his arms and protected him. From like the dawn of time, right? The Father has had his arm around his son. And the Father adores him. His son could not be more precious to him. I said at the start, right, I want to think about conversations, right, as a theme. Everybody's starting to see where this is going, right? Jesus, there's a bit here where Jesus recounts a specific conversation he's had with his father in time eternal, right? This is like one of those rare moments in the Bible that just makes your hair stand on end because you hear God the Father talking to God the Son, right? Like sort of a window into this. Imagine being Isaiah, right, and getting that. Being like, that's a big day, isn't it? <clears throat> and it's a private conversation, right, that happened before the world began. And I, I just dare to suspect that this, is, this would be one of Jesus' most precious conversations he's, he's ever had. And it's the Father speaking to the Son, and Jesus tells us about it. Jesus says, this is my most precious conversation. And it's the climax of all these chapters. This is like, just in the narrative flow, this is it. He says, I don't know what it says at the top there. 
Right, but the quote, the quote's what matters. It is too light a thing, Jesus, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations, that my salvation shall extend to the ends of the earth. Fall off your seats. That's the new bit. That's the new plan. That's what it is. But feel the love there. Feel the love from the Father, looking at his son and saying, Jesus, you're too good for that. I love you too much that you should only be salvation to Israel and Judah, to the ethnic nation of Israel. I'm going to send you to save the whole world. That's how good you are. That's what you're worth. You're worth so much more than that. You're worth all of this. I'm not going to spend you just on that. I'm going to spend you to save everybody. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? I remember when I first read that a couple of years ago. I was like, can you imagine being there? Imagine being Jesus in that conversation. Another mind bender, right? But the father sitting down with his son. His son looking at him and saying, you're just, you're just worth too much, Jesus. I'm so proud of you. You're going to make me so proud. With his arm around him. But what's, you know, like, oh, you've got to see that. You've got to see that as, like, that's what's going on. There's that intimacy between them. Because what's so unfathomably generous and costly is that the father, when he says that, he knows what it's going to cost him. He knows what it's going to cost him to give up his son. I can't even read what I've written here. It's going to cost me everything because it's going to cost me you. I don't know if some of you have been following some of the um, really, oh dear me. I don't know if you've been following some of the um, really remarkable and um, uh, awe-inspiring stories and heroic stories from the London Bridge inquest that's been on recently. Um, It's following the London Bridge attacks with the awful murders. Um, Two people that really stood out for me, I've just been sort of tracking this. um, I think the BBC News has done a really excellent job of... uh, Celebrating some people's lives. Uh, this is, um, let me get a name right, uh, Kirsty Bowden. Uh, Kirsty died uh, running to the aid. She's a nurse, she was 28. <coughs> running to the aid of uh, a couple of people who'd been stabbed. Her friends in the, um, in the inquiry said, uh, the inquest uh, said, the last word she said to them, she stood up and saw this happening, was, I have to go and help. I need to, I need to see if they need help. She was set upon by all three attackers and died on the pavement. <coughs> this next, next chap is still alive. Uh, Constable uh, Wayne Marquez. Apologies if I got his name, pronounced his name wrong there. You might have seen uh, news coverage of this chap. He was the, the unarmed police officer, armed only with his baton, who confronted all three attackers, um, ultimately survived but put his life on the line, was stabbed nu- numerous times, including the obvious ones above his eye, um, to try and save theirs. These are amazing individuals, you know. Thank, thank God we've got these people in our society. Um, but the thing that I've... It's just, you know, I've been preparing this while this has been going on. There's some incredible self-sacrifice here, and I do not in any way want to diminish that, but what I want to say is that in the Gospel, there's something more than that. There's something even more than that. There's something about what God the Father does here, what the Father does in the Gospel that goes even further. 
Because the Father isn't only prepared to give up his own life, he's prepared to give up the life of someone he loves even more than his own life, his son. Maybe that's just a thought to just go away and like ponder on. So like, I said like the gospel's like a diamond, right? I think this is just, as I've been thinking about this, I think this is just one of those avenues onto the gospel. It just allows us to see some of the, the fiery furnace of intensity of love at the heart of it. Only the servant can achieve the plan. He's the only one. And the father's prepared to pay the price of giving up his son to achieve it. Do you see that? Here's the father speaking to the son again. He says, I'm the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. In, in Hebrew, they, um, whenever you see like a semicolon, it's like, they like to write, it's a bit like haikus where you get like parallel bits. It says, I'm going to take you by the hand and keep you, and yet I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. I will give you. See and savour the love that God must have for his people. If he would give his most precious, holy, only son for you, for us, think about what that love must be like. Think about, we loved it, right? Oh, how he loves us. We sang that, we sang that before. He really loves us. He really, really loves us. Think how much, you know, go back to that point about idolatry where we've ended up in exile. Think how much he must yearn for your love back to him, for your worship of him. Like, obvious, obvious point number one, right? Obvious point number one. Just stop worshipping anything else other than Yahweh. Like, just, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. This God is so much better than all those other fake gods. And I say that to myself. And I don't just mean it in the, are you worshipping some other religious God? I mean it, what all those other things that your life are drawn towards. They're just not as good. If you can tell me that any of those other things are better than that love, I'll go there, but I just don't believe it's going to happen. I just don't believe it's going to happen. Sing to him. Tell him you love him. We're going to say a song in a minute, like, Jesus has been the lion and the lamb. Remember, like, he's this bruised reed, but he's also this person who's going to achieve uh, conquest over the whole world. And you're weak, choose him. Don't choose the false, empty gods. That's obvious point number one, right? Hopefully you've got that yourselves. Um, and two's not too dissimilar either. Like, if you're not part of that global family, like, see that there's this big plan. Like, God started this plan, like, way back in time. It's still going on. Still going on. We're part of that family here. We're part of that family. We've got our G1 communities, which are like the smallest local expression of them. But we're part of the family. There's a whole lot of other churches in Cheltenham we're a part of. And there's everyone globally. And then there's everyone who's ever lived who's been a Christian. Right? They're part of this massive family. We're part of that. So lift your vision. Lift your vision beyond your seat rows. We are part of this big global family. Join the family. If you're not part of the family, join the family. Right? Christopher talked about how you do that. You get baptized. You say, I'm going to stop worshiping those other things. I'm going to start worshiping God. Join the family. It's free to enter. One final conversation, right? One final conversation in the Bible. Um, John 17, Jesus is just about to be executed. It's the night before. He's out praying on the hill just outside Jerusalem. And he's talking with his father again. He's talking with his father. Um, just, just about to be executed. He knows that's going to happen. And he recounts that same conversation that he's had with Isaiah, you know, that we've seen in Isaiah. He says, Father... 
And we only know about this because the disciples were sat watching and felt, now we really ought to write this down in the Bible. Father, as you sent me, as you sent me, so now I send them. I don't know the full meaning of what that's going to mean, but I think Isaiah helps us to unlock it a bit. God sent Jesus to be a light to the nations, a blessing to the world. Jesus says us, his disciples, right, should be a light to the nations. A city on a hill. We're to be a blessing to others, laying down our lives. We're to go and tell the good news and make disciples of other nations. Christopher talked about that. As you sent me, so I send them. Jesus has got his arm around us because we've got the Spirit with us. The Spirit lives with us. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.